Tonight, I get to speak to you guys about my favorite love story in the Bible. This is my absolute favorite love story in the Bible. Um, so we just have Valentine's Day, and it happens to be we're talking about a love story two days later. What's really hilarious is we didn't plan that. Sometimes these things just happen. But if you'd like to think that Chi Alpha is that together, go ahead and like be like, my Chi Alpha pastors, man, they're together. They planned everything to like, we did not. We did not. It just, it happened, but praise the Lord. Um, so I know we talked about it in our groups a little bit. Some of you guys celebrated Valentine's. Some of you guys did not. I was really excited. Uh, several of our ladies went to the movies together and had like a Galentine. And I think that's like a really fun way to celebrate with your friends. And so like, absolutely love that. But you guys, um, so they went to see Marry Me. I've not seen it yet. But I do know this about it. It's a love story. And if I'm honest, you guys, I love me a good love story. Yeah. I told you guys before, <laughs> I like to read. And I love to read love stories. Like, you talk about old British lit. I'm really into old British and French literature. You can think it's weird. I love it. So like Jane Austen, you got your pride and prejudice, right? You got your sense and sensibility, your persuasion, your Emma. I love it all, right? I, I like Jane Eyre. That's, that's like kind of a messed up love story, but I still love it, right? I like Les Mis, which is like sad love story, right? Absolutely love it. I mean, even give me like the fault in our stars and five feet apart and the more current, current things, and I'm just like you know, reading the book or watching the movie and blubbering, but I'm like, but they love each other. I love a love story. Funny thing, so over the weekend, I was at home chilling with my kids because there was another fun event where y'all got pizza and went bowling. So Matt was, was doing the pizza. I'm chilling with the kids. All three kids, including my son, he's probably gonna make me erase this later from the podcast. They like come up and they're like, mom, let's watch a, let's watch a movie. And I, man, I love to watch movies with my kids because, like, I'm also just a big cuddler. And, like, when we turn on a movie, they all, like, pile on the couch on top of me and we all snuggle up in the blankets and, like, we watch a movie. And it's, like, one of my favorite places to be, honestly. Just snuggled up with these kids watching a movie. And I'm like, okay, well, what we want to watch? And they're like, we want a love story. We want a love movie. And I'm like, okay, you know, because, um, like, the oldest one is 14, and it goes down from there. So I'm like, okay, what love movie are we going to watch that's, like, and then they go, we want a sad one. <laughs> All three of them, they wanted some tragic love romance. Um, you know, so I'm, like, I'm looking, and I'm like, what's something we haven't watched that is maybe appropriate, because some of them are not, right? And, and I'm looking, and so I go in the garage, and we still have a walk to remember, any of you guys ever seen this, this Christian movie from, from way back? Okay, so we watched this thing halfway through. Cadence has a blanket up over her face, and she goes, it is sad. And you're like, I mean, like, she's lost it. My son's like, it's not that sad. You know, like, stoic face, not going to shed a tear. Um, but anyways, I love a good love story. And I think that there's something about love stories for those of us that, that like them. It's okay if you, if you don't, if you're like, man, that's sappy Jackie, and like, I don't know how I'm gonna take the next few minutes of Chi Alpha, that's totally okay. It's totally okay. We've all been there sometimes in life too. But I think those of us that like love stories, really there's something about a love story that is just a little reflection of our story with God. 
and it like resonates deep in our soul. So we hear this love story of like, and you're like, why does she love him? And you're watching a movie, why does she love him? You know, and there's just this little glimmer of like, but that's that's what God, the way God loves us, right? And and so anyway, I think that each and every one of us are intended out are intended to live out a love story with God. And so like when we when we read these stories and they really hit us, it's just like that little reflection and there's something in our soul that's attracted to that. Um, so tonight I'm gonna tell you a love story, or rather the Bible has told us a love story, and I'm gonna tell you about it. Cool. Um, but it's from the Bible. And like I said, this is my favorite love story in the Bible. There's a few, but this is my favorite one. Um, It's the story of Ruth. And so the book of Ruth, y'all, it's four chapters, and she's just a baller. We're talking about it in the car earlier with the kids. Like, she's just a cool person. And so, like, I really like her story, right? Because I'm like, she's cool. I want to be more like Ruth. If it's a love story and you don't want to be like the person, then you don't. It's not as good, right? Um... So this is a short one. I know I'm always like, if you want to read it when you go home, you know, go home and read. And y'all are like, sometimes I can see it in your beautiful faces. You're like, that's going to be a long time. Okay, this one's four chapters. It's four Bible chapters, which means it's pretty short. Like 15 or 20 minutes, you read the book of Ruth, right? And you can be like, I read a book of the Bible this year. So really, go go read it. But so the first thing we need to know about Ruth to really understand this story is that it takes place in the days when the judges ruled Israel. So the time of the judges, this is after Joshua, who we talked about last week, and and the people have started to go into the promised land. But it's kind of a dark time um, for Israel because the people, they keep falling into idolatry, and then the Lord keeps raising up these judges, right? to kind of like be a leader for the people and get them back on track. And then that judge goes away and then the people fall into idolatry again and then he raises up another judge. And so it's kind of um, a dark time in Israel's history. It's, It's not the time that anybody, like you read the Old Testament and you're like, I wish I lived then. You don't. You know, like Judges was a dark time. Um, This is also the time, some other people you may have heard of from it, where we have Deborah and Gideon and Samson. And um, so what's really interesting to me about some of these guys is, like, they're not really amazing either. Like, I read the story of Gideon, and he's kind of a scary cat, right? And Samson is just, he's like a mess. And he's kind of a mean dude and, and does some weird stuff, like tying foxes' tails together and setting them on fire. Like, I don't really get it, right? Um, so even the leaders during this time, it's, it's a dark time. And... Um, So Judges describes itself in Judges 17, 6. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So basically it's saying like everyone took the you do you to the full extreme. It sounds a little bit like what we encounter today a lot of times where it's like they do whatever, people just do whatever they think is right, but it was, it was a lot of chaos, right? And this is the time where this story takes place, and these characters don't actually even like fit with what I just told you, because they're gonna be different, but we kinda need to know that. We also need to know the book of Ruth has three main characters, okay? There's Naomi, there's Ruth, and there's Boaz. So we're gonna look at their story. 
So in chapter one, at the very beginning, we're introduced to an Israelite family of Naomi and Elimelech. They're from Bethlehem, and we read that the land is experiencing a famine, so they move to Moab. They move out of Israel into Moab, and that city would have been considered an ancient enemy of Israel. But they move there, right, because they want to find food. And while they're in Moab, Elimelech dies. So Naomi is there with their two sons. They marry some Moabite women, and then the sons end up dying as well. So Naomi has had a very sad time in Moab, right? A really sad time. And basically, in this, at this point in the story, she has no reason to stay in Moab. She is an Israelite, like so a foreign widow in a foreign country. She has no way to provide for herself. So just, she decides, I'm going to move back home, knowing that life there in Moab as unmarried foreign widow is going to be hard for her. And her two daughters-in-law that have married her son, she encourages them to go back to their families. She's like, I can't really do anything for you. I have no way to care for you. Go back to your families. So she decides to go home, and um, the two daughters-in-law, one is Orpha and one is Ruth. Orpha decides to stay in Moab, Moab like, like Naomi suggests, but Ruth shows extreme commitment and loyalty to Naomi. She says, and this is going to be kind of like our key chunk of scripture tonight in Ruth 1, 16 and 17. It says, but Ruth replied, do not ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. You guys, Ruth is committed to Naomi. Like, that is a statement of commitment. She's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to die by your side. Right? She says, your people, they're my people now. Your God, he's my God now. Where you go, I'm going with you. I'm with you to the end. Um, so she returns with Naomi to Israel. And the chapter ends with Naomi saying, don't, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. So she's like basically changing her name, and she does this because of the tragedy and death she's experienced. So, so it's really kind of a sad beginning to the story, right? That, that this lady, she's widowed, she's experienced tragedy and death, and she's returned to Israel with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. So it's really hopeless, right? So in chapter 2, we see that Naomi and Ruth, they're back in Israel, and they're making a plan to find food, right? Because what are you going to do if you're going to continue to live? you got to find food, right? Um, so chapter 2 begins. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a prominent man of noble character from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And so we read that. And then um, we learn that Ruth is going out to glean grain. And so to kind of explain this, because there's a lot of like cultural things in this book that maybe just reading it through don't make sense. Gleaning was where you would follow after the people harvesting grain. It was barley season, apparently. And whatever they left behind that maybe got dropped, you would pick it up. And that was gleaning. And you could take that home um, based on, on the law and the Torah. 
to show generosity to, to those in need, right? So she's, Ruth is going to go out and she's going to glean in the fields and she's going to pick up this barley and that's what they're going to use to, to feed themselves with, the leftovers, right? That nobody wants to fell on the ground and got left behind. Um, so she goes gleaning and she ends up in whose field? Boaz. Boaz. This man of noble character, right? She ends up in his field, and it just so happens that Boaz is Naomi's relative. So he notices her. He's like, this girl is working. He finds out more about her. And then he shows her remarkable generosity. Um, and so when he shows her this generosity, it helps us to further see that he's a good man, um, and that he's obeying these commands of God. Like it said in Deuteronomy 24, 19, um, about like the gleaning, when you're harvesting your crops and forget to bring a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Then the Lord will bless you in all you do. So he notices her, he blesses her, and then he tells the guys that are working in his field, he's like, drop a little extra, <laughs> right? For her, because he's trying to show her kindness. Like he knows she's out there, to work and work hard and honor her mother-in-law and bring home food, but he's also like, let's not make it hard for her. Let's make it easy, because he's impressed that she would do this for her mother-in-law. Like, there's something about her that he's like, why on earth would you leave your own country where you could probably get remarried and, like, get a good situation for yourself and come with this widow who basically has nobody to fight for her, right? Nobody to, like, take care of her, and instead you come with her and you're going to work in a field and pick up scraps all day because you love her and you're that committed to her, right? He, that impresses him. He's like, there's something about this girl that's different. So he's like, let's make it a little easier. Um, and then at the end of the day, he loads her up with grain. He gives her some extra grain and he sends her home. So when she gets home, she tells Naomi about her day. Naomi's like, where'd you get all this food? Right? And she explains, yeah, I was gleaning and I was in this dude's field named Boaz. And Naomi gets really excited because it turns out that Boaz is their kinsman redeemer. Like I said, lots of cultural stuff in this, so I'll explain it a little bit. The kinsman redeemer for them was a cultural practice where if a man died and left behind wife and children and land, um, there was another family member that could come and marry the widow and take up that land and they would perfect, protect the family line. So basically, like, you could marry the widow and, like, inherit the land, but it's, like, keeping it within the family and redeeming them so that their family line doesn't end with that dude that had passed away. Um, so Naomi's, like, putting two and two together, and she's like, Boaz, and he's our relative, and actually he could be a kinsman redeemer. And so there starts to be just this little glimmer of hope in, in the book, this little glimmer of hope. And um, so in chapter 3, things start to get really interesting, right? So Naomi and Ruth start to come up with a plan. Ladies, you know how it is, <laughs> right? We notice a fellow, and then we're like, okay, now i got to get the plan for the fellow to notice me, right? And so they start to come up with a plan. Um, Naomi dresses Ruth up. She gets her all glammed up and sends her to meet Boaz on the farm at night. And so, like, he's, he's camping out, guarding his barley crop that's, that's been harvested, and she, like, sneaks into the camp, lays down by his feet. So, like, this isn't, like, 
like they're they're doing anything wrong, but she like sneaks in, lays down by his feet, all gut, all gussied up, uncovers them so he'll get cold and wake up, <laughs> and then waits. <laughs> I don't know, but like like I'm like that must be a cultural thing because I'm not that patient, a. And if I get all dressed up, I'm not gonna like lay there. Um, but that's apparently how you show the guy, like, I'm interested in ancient Israel. I don't know. Um, but this is what she does, right? She sneaks in. He wakes up, and um, she says, like, you're our, our family's kin- kinsman redeemer, right? And, and you could fix our situation. So basically, this foreign girl whose first husband has died, who's gone to Israel with this older widow to take care of her, like, pretty selfless act, like, goes to this dude all dressed up and basically essentially says, hey, marry me. And you guys, today, that would be bold. Today, it would be bold to get all dressed up and just be like, hey, I, we barely know each other, but I want you to marry me. <laughs> that time, like, that's bold. Yeah. Like, Ruth is bold. And she goes to this man, essentially, <laughs> puts it out there, like, I want you to to fix this family problem and marry me. Um, And so Boaz again remarks on Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family and her noble character. And you guys, he uses the same term, this is just a fun fact, that gets used in Proverbs 31 of the wife of noble character. So when he's saying like she's loyal like and has noble character, that's the same Hebrew words we see in Proverbs 31 in the... Solomon describing the wife of noble character. So he tells her to wait until the next day, and he, and he sends her home, and he's going to go to the town elders and see if he can redeem her. So Ruth returns to Naomi, and now there's definite hope in the situation, right? So Naomi has gone from hopeless to like, okay, there might be hope, like, like something might be changing, to like very hopeful. She's like, okay. Like, Ruth did this super bold thing, and, like, he responded well, and, like, we might actually have hope. Um, So in chapter 4, which is the final chapter, right, Boaz knows that there's actually another closer family member who can redeem Naomi's family. So he goes to talk to this man. And the man is basically like, well, yeah, yeah, I want Elimelech's land. And Boaz is like, oh, but see, there's this widow that you would have to marry and by the way, she's from Moab. She's not Israelite. So when he finds out this information, he's like, oh, I can't. Like, I already have, have my own stuff, and, like, that would mess up my family's inheritance. And basically, you kind of get the nuance that he doesn't want to marry her also because she's from Moab. But Boaz already knows Ruth. He already knows her character. He wants to marry her. So he's like, cool. Well, you're not going to redeem the land. I'll do it. Right? And so he makes this transaction in front of the town elders. They shake on it, and then he takes Ruth to be his wife. Um, And so just as at the beginning, Ruth was loyal and committed to Naomi, now we see Boaz is loyal and committed to Naomi's family as well. So the story concludes with a complete reversal of all that happened in chapter 1, where the sons died and Naomi was left alone to face death and tragedy And now Ruth is married to Boaz, and she gives birth, her life, to a new son named Obed, and and it brings joy and restoration to Naomi. So it started in death and tragedy, ends in joy and restoration. And another really interesting thing 
is as I've told this story, right, God's hardly ever mentioned. Like, the narrator of the story does not ever mention God. The characters a few times mention him. Um, but, like, the character's never like, and God was working in such and such for this to happen. It's just kind of implied, but we see that obviously God was working. Obviously God was working. He was working in the details and the choices of the people who were committed to follow him, and he was working behind every scene, moving through every choice and every circumstance. God was working. So Naomi's tragedy in the beginning leads her to think that God's punishing her, but actually the book of Ruth is about God working to restore her and her family. He does this through Ruth and Boaz as they show loyalty and commitment, and God uses that loyalty and commitment to redeem the family. So this is where Ruth's story connects to us and our own story. See, each and every one of us, we can trust that God is also working in the details of our lives. He's working through the choices we make. And even when we don't see it or hear about it, we know that he's moving. Right? We don't have to be like, God is working in my situation. It's like if you're following the Lord, if you're loyal to him, you're committed to him, he's working. He's working. And we can trust that God is able to redeem us. So the book of Ruth, it concludes with a genealogy showing how Obed, was, Obed, sorry, words are hard. Obed was the grandfather of King David. So basically, out of Obed's ancestry came Jesus, the Messiah. And so we can see how these events that seem really small are woven into the bigger story of God's redemption for the whole world. And the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might also be at work in the very ordinary details of our lives. Because, like, we have the time of the judges, and we have this one really small story about basically one family, right? But it's like, man, God used that one family to, like, be part of the ancestry that redeems not just Naomi's family, but the entire world through Jesus. That one little detail, when he was working in the details of these few people that were loyal and committed to God, right, becomes like one essential detail to the redemption of the entire world. So Ruth and Boaz worked to redeem Naomi's family line from death and tragedy and bring life and joy. And this is a picture or a type for what ultimately Jesus Christ would do for each and every one of us, right? Each and every one of us, without God, we're guilty of sin, we've done wrong, and as a result, we deserve death and separation from God eternally. That's what the Bible says. This is a tragedy. But Jesus Christ came in human flesh, and he lived among us, and he died for us, and he made a way for us to be made right with God. Jesus was our kinsman redeemer, like Boaz was Ruth. Jesus was our kinsman redeemer who came into the picture and made a way for us to have life and joy and redemption. So all you have to do to receive that is to confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior and believe on what he did on the cross for us and then do our best to loyally follow him as Lord of our life. It's because of Jesus' loyalty and commitment to us through the cross that we can be redeemed and forgiven. I think the story of Ruth is also a picture or a type for what Jesus wants to ultimately do through us, right? 
So the story began with loyalty and commitment of Ruth to Naomi. Like we said, well, we can look at the scripture again. In Ruth 1, 16 and 17, it said, Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Could it be that God is calling us, he's calling you, calling me, to be loyal and committed to someone else so that we can be like Ruth and we can connect them to their kinsman, Redeemer? Right? Their, their Savior, Jesus. Because the story, it's really, if you read it, the story of Naomi, right? At the very beginning, she's, she's destitute, and she comes back to Israel, but she's older, and she's, she's past marriageable age. She's not going to be able to have another child to like, keep the family line going. So it's Ruth that basically like, intercedes and, and gets in the middle and connects Naomi to Boaz so that her family line can continue and that her family can be redeemed. In the same way, I really think that like Jesus wants to connect, to use us to connect other people to him so that they can know him as Lord and Savior and have, have fullness of life and joy, right? Um, so how might God be challenging you to make a way for someone else to come to Christ this semester? How might he be challenging you to be used to connect somebody else to Jesus this semester? So we're going to pray, and we're going to pray for two things. The first one is if you've not asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, not ask him to be your Redeemer, there's no better right than to do that. And so we just invite you tonight, um, if you've not prayed that prayer, Man, don't let a night go by without it, right? Um, it's the biggest decision you can ever make. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we're going to have a moment of prayer for that. And then after that, we're going to have a moment of prayer and just ask the Lord to show us, like maybe two, three, four people that he would really burden our heart on the campus that he wants to use us to connect with Jesus. Because I really believe that, like, in your classes and at your work and in your dorm and where you are. Like, I can't be there, right? I don't live in Rawls. I don't live in CP. I don't sit in your psychology class or your biology class. I really don't sit in your biology class, y'all. I'm real bad at, at the science and the math. Um, I was a lit major. Can you tell? I talked about books a lot. But I can't be there, right? But you're there, and I really believe that the Lord has put you there for a reason to use you. Um, so we'll just take a moment and, and pray. You guys can bow your heads. Lord, we just invite you to have your way tonight. God, we invite you to have your way. Jesus, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be redeemed. God, for us to be um, saved out of the death and tragedy, Lord, that we, are des we deserve because of our sin and wrongdoing, and to have life and joy everlasting in you because you're our Lord and Savior. And uh, Lord, just pray that you would move in our hearts tonight. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, um, is there anyone here that say, I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior tonight? If that's you, would you just lift up your hand? I see those hands. Is there anyone else? 
And so I invite you to, to pray this along with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've done for me on the cross. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins and help me to live for you. Lord, I trust you to be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And then um, for the rest of you, is there anyone that you'd say, man, I want God to speak to me and show, show me some people that I can connect with Jesus this semester. Um, if that's you, would you stand? Amen. Lord, you see these bold individuals that are standing. And Lord, I know it's scary to stand here, but um, if we can stand up here, Lord, then, then we know we're bold, and we just pray that you would just continue to fill us with your boldness, that we would um, be able to, to open our mouths and, and love well and speak truth to those around us. God, I pray um, for each and every one of those standing, God, that you would begin to speak to them, just those people that you have placed in their path that need you, Lord, that you want to use them to reach. God, I pray tonight before they go to bed, they would they would have a short list of names, and Lord Jesus, that um, God, they would begin to pray over those names, and Holy Spirit, that you would begin to just give them creative ways to, to begin to reach out to those people with the love of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would do it tonight, Lord, we thank you, God, for what you've already done this semester, but God, we know that there are so many more on this campus, Jesus, that, that you want to bring to know you. Lord Jesus, you love each and every soul on this campus. And God, we just ask you that you would lead us to the ones um, that are ready to respond to your truth. God, have your way. And Lord, we just pray your blessing over everybody here tonight. In the strong name of Jesus. Amen.